0: Hello and welcome to Voss Vignettes, Lessons in Leadership. This is a podcast of Voss Fellowship. So if you're an entrepreneur, creative, or visionary who has questions about work, life, and everything in between, you came to the right place. I'm Joe Schuberth, coach and founder at Voss Fellowship.
1: I'm Steve Durgan. I am a fellow at Voss and the director of Mastermind Development. And I'm Johnny Button, also a fellow here at Voss and the director of Digital Media.
0: So we actually had a funny moment as we prepare ourselves for the uh, Why Should We Practice Authenticity episode, um, which is episode 13, the episode you're currently listening to. And that was that beforehand, we've had a um, little title script at the beginning of every episode that I think Johnny mentioned uh, sounded great to us internally, but (laughs) externally had a lot of jargon and came off a bit dry. Super (laughs) Um, dry. And so to practice authenticity, we... Change things up today and are just trying to embrace um, who Voss is in a more relatable terms. Um, So welcome. And uh, as I said today, we are going to be talking about authenticity. And um, as we begin this podcast, there are a lot of terms in leadership spheres um, and even in modern vernacular in general that can be kind of conflated or confused, um, Mm -hmm. such as authenticity, vulnerability, transparency, humility. I'm sure you guys have heard this from any uh, public speaker you've listened to in the last few years. Um, a lot of coaching profiles will use these words, um, but once again, I think we need to begin this episode by kind of quickly separating these terms and identifying them individually, so that we don't just mix them all up as if they all mean the same thing. Yeah,
2: yeah. And we don't need we're not we're not going to like bore you with the Webster's dictionary <laughs> definitions of each of these words. <laughs> That's not what we mean. But we just want to talk about. You know, authenticity and vulnerability are really where we're going to focus in on this episode. I think that those two are pretty tied together. Mm. Um, You can't really be authentic without a measure of vulnerability and vice versa. Right. Um, But transparency, humility, um, even honesty to a certain degree are not necessarily the same thing Mm. as authenticity and vulnerability. Those things, uh, they have their place and I think that they're important aspects of any healthy business culture any healthy life um, but they're not the same thing as authenticity I think authenticity at its core is about just being z- the truest version of yourself mm. it's a um, good summary whereas transparency is about exposure mm-hmm. right and uh, humility and honesty are about truth mm-hmm. and there are elements of that involved within authenticity yeah. and vulnerability Yeah, um, but they're not not the same thing.
1: Yeah. Like with humility, I would probably zone in and say, like, accurate estimation of yourself, mm. something like that, you know, which yeah. is, again, a truth piece. Like, does your view of yourself correlate with your actual self? Mm-hmm. Um, is a yeah. humility piece. But yeah, I think, I think that's a really good breakdown, Johnny.
0: Yeah. And I think there's, there's two sides of vulnerability. Um, And authenticity at that point, which can be, you know, you obviously, as Johnny said, you want to be able to embrace and have good self-awareness. So I'll be able to embrace who you are. Um, but sometimes that can take an ugly turn. And so the, uh, duality, I guess, or maybe the dichotomy, I always mix those two words up. There's something being authentic right there. Um, <laughs> but, but so the, the, the struggle or the problem can be there that people want to embrace themselves to a point where they don't care how it affects others. Yeah. So mm-hmm. a good example yeah. of this would be, um, while, uh, Myers-Briggs test, Enneagrams, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of really good resources out there that help people identify who they are. Yeah. Um, but we don't want to treat them as horoscopes where we say, uh, I'm a type two. And so I'm just always going to be needy. So forgive me. Or, you know, I'm a type eight. So I'm always going to be confrontational or I'm a type three, you know, whatever. You go through mm-hmm. all these things or yeah. I'm an ENFP or whatever. Yeah. And so you don't want to almost diagnose yourself with something as if it's incurable. You want to be able to learn what your, your weaknesses or your um, your strengths are. And then just grow from those. Yeah, and that's, that's good. That's practicing authenticity right off the rip. It's not just saying
1: this is you, who I am without apology. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Therefore, take me or leave me. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Which,
2: and there can be elements of that in authenticity. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, but I think that those instances are a lot fewer and farther between. Yeah. Uh, but I think the other big piece here that we're talking about with this dichotomy, which I think is the word that you're looking for, probably. Um, <laughs> but with this, with this dichotomy, is that. Boundaries are still important. When we talk about authenticity and vulnerability, there's a level of, especially as we use the word vulnerability, of that's exposure, right? Mm-hmm. It requires you to be honest about parts of yourself that you might have a propensity to hide. Yeah. Uh, but there are reasons why you might set up boundaries within your authenticity for mental health reasons related to trauma, um, even for issues of rest and just being able to uh, reset and recharge yourself there are certain situations and certain people that it might not be safe to be vulnerable around mm. or to be, uh, I think that it, it's not a lack of authenticity to set guardrails on some of your vulnerability. Um, but that's important. Yeah. And so, uh, today we're going to be f- focusing primarily on personal, personal authenticity. Uh, you know, we're here at, in, in the Voss vignettes podcast, we talk about, uh, our personal life, we talk about business practices, we talk about everything in between, like Joe said in the intro, um, but today we're focusing mostly on the personal aspects of authenticity, mm-hmm. but we we do wanna touch on how authenticity informs business practices. And so before we get too deep into the personal side of authenticity, we wanted to examine a little bit of kind of the corporate side of authenticity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Because we've noticed, I'm sure any of you listening have also seen companies that treat authenticity as just a buzzword. And they seem to think that authenticity is about having things that look like they're from Etsy, even though they're manufactured
1: <laughs> yeah. or the new cool thing to do. Is, yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, and there's also companies I think too, that um kind of on the more sinister side of things. You see companies that, uh, They're not using it's, you know, a coffee shop that's not using straws because they're concerned about the environmental impact, but they're not paying their employees a living wage or giving anybody uh, an appropriate amount of time off to actually be in a mentally healthy place and
1: Mm. things like that. Yeah. Low transparency, low access for us as the consumer Mm -hmm. to information.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think of like. McDonald's when they try to show people like at a picnic table eating with like plates and forks and you're like what's going on here that's <laughs> not how people eat McDonald's <laughs> yeah at least not that i've seen that maybe there is some utopia life. that we've missed out on but
2: yeah but like not 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 necessarily to call out companies specifically but McDonald's is a great example of a company where in, in some of the recent conversations here in the United States, they're talking about raising their minimum payment, their minimum wage corporately to $15 an hour and bringing things closer to a place that's a living wage, even though it's a whole other conversation because $15 an hour really isn't a living wage in the national average in the United States. But but that's besides the point. They're talking an about, effort. We <laughs> digress. <laughs> we digress. They're, they're talking about bringing their, their minimum wage for their lowest paid employees up but what they're not talking about super publicly is that in Japan they're testing out essentially McDonald's being a large walk-in vending machine mm. where robots are taking care of everything. Mm. And so you know, on the public facing side of it in the United States it's like yeah, we're on the side of the worker, like thumbs up for everybody, but in the back side they're like okay, but in 10 years we're not going to employ humans anymore.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Steve, you had a good example as well with um L.L. Bean, I think yes. you want to explain that one a little bit for
1: sure. So L.L. Bean is an, uh, I think primarily East coast United States company. Um, and their feel is outdoorsy. It's kind of a Patagonia kind of deal. And I, I think this comes to mind as that tension where it's like the aesthetic that they're going for feels like adventure, feels like it celebrates and loves the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in one way, someone who's like, oh, yeah, like I'm looking for this in my life, this adventure, this raw kind of rugged experience kind of deal. They might be attracted to the the pictures that are used or whatever other kind of um, marketing material. Mm -hmm. But as a company, L.L. Bean has zero transparency as far as the actual process and product, um, like the supply chain, um, Mm -hmm. how they source things, how they develop what they make. And and so we couldn't get any information on is this ethical or not, and does this actually respect the environment that they celebrate mm-hmm, right. purportedly? And so it's this piece of like the Johnny I think was getting at where it's like ah uh, like it's kind of a faux authenticity um, that's just being used because it's popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and so you can see that that tension of like tapping into an aspect of seemingly you know being seemingly authentic without having the full package. Yeah. Whereas I think you were
0: mentioning a company that you feel pretty good about. Um, REI, yes. Uh, so REI. What does that
1: stand for? I don't uh, know. Recreational uh,
0: Equipment, right. something like that. <laughs> Re- yeah, Recreational
1: yeah. Equipment Incorporated. There, there. you there go. We go.
0: Um, so once again, this might be a company that if you Google them and try to really do some digging, I'm sure has some things that aren't best practices or are practices that they're at least transparent about but aren't the best, you know, maybe. Um, yeah. But one thing I can at least attest to on the side of REI's, um, positive case is that they are a co-op. So every single employee owns a portion of that company, Mm. unlike major corporations that like Johnny was mentioning with, with McDonald's, you know, try to be for the worker and yet may not even have workers soon or are really just caring about their bottom dollar or caring about their, their C-suite executives getting the newest bonus, um, package or whatever. So we can get into a lot of companies there. Um, but At least REI, whether or not you know they can compete with LL on a we're more sustainable or more ethical route, at least treats their company differently than many companies do and are very um, public about that. Um, But one thing I want to kind of hone in for us, because you know I think most people listening to this podcast aren't people who are um, operating multi billion dollar industry leaders, but instead are either creating new businesses or have been in business for a while. Um, And I I want to think about how do we authentically lead teams if we're talking about corporate, you know, um, practices. And so I remember in my, I believe this is in my leading teams class in school, um, there's a quote that said, visionary leaders, uh, become authentic by listening to those who have contrary vision. That's, that's from Robert Mason. Um, that's hard. yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so one of the biggest things going back to how authenticity and vulnerability are attached are welcoming, Ideas that are different than yours. This is, we kind of talked about this maybe a little bit in our conflict episode, our last in house episode before this. Um, but you become more authentic as a company by actually having divergences within your company. Yeah.
2: And everyone being willing to admit that their idea might not be the best one at the table.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of the old adage that like
1: dissent is the hallmark of unity. Like mm-hmm. it's all related. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're going to connect with each other better. You know, if we can be our authentic selves and we can show up better, if we know that disagreement is allowed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, cultivating that space of contrary visions. Wow.
0: Yeah, it's a and good quote. I, and I think too, as well, with being a authentic company and, or a leader of a company, um, has to do with how you facilitate that. Because once again, like Johnny said, anybody can put up a really nice Instagram post of your workers hard at work and oh we love our team but if at the end of the day that po- that picture gets posted and then those team members feel misrepresented or like they're not really a part of the bigger picture or they don't have buy-in to anything the company is doing then you know what's really happening and so one of the things that um, I think was a really good practice from the same class leading teams Um was and I, and I mentioned this book a lot, so I should get sponsored by him or this book <laughs> at least. <laughs> um, and I, and Johnny pointed out before recording that I've been mispronouncing his name wrong. So maybe that's why he hasn't sponsored me. But Pat, Patrick Lencioni, not Lencioni, <laughs> um, has a book called Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And uh, one of the big things he talks about is vulnerability. And he talks about how the lack of vulnerability and a lack of trust within teams is one of those dysfunctions. And so... He suggests a trust-building exercise um, that I'm going to read it off, and it's gonna it's it's pretty different from what most uh, businesses would think of immediately. But it says take turns openly acknowledging weaknesses uh, or a weakness that could hurt the team and a strength that will help the team succeed.
1: Oh my gosh! And so See, I, well, I just I love the phrasing already of could hurt the team. Yes. Like in other words, a
0: relevant weakness. Yes. Not yeah. like
1: I'm going to share this. Pretend a vulnerable thing that mm-hmm. won't affect any of you.
0: Yes. And and here's the catch. He says, you go first as a leader, you know? And so the example he gives are, um, my technical skills aren't strong, but I believe that my ability to find new customers and sell products will help this team succeed. I think even on a deeper level, you could say, I'm really bad at conflict management, but I am dedicated to making this team work, you know. So once again, that's something that's that's more related rather than like, oh yeah, I, I'm bad at math, but hey, I'm really good at sales. It's good, like, yeah,
1: good thing math isn't part of my role. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what no. what could hurt the team? Yeah, I like this. Um, yeah. But then
0: he follows this up once again with a really good thought, and he says, when you and your teammates are transparent about your faults, you take down the veil of perfection, and you uh-huh. allow open and honest feedback to find its way in the team discussions. And I think that's the key right there: is that you don't want people pretending like they are going to always be on or that they're going to always do the right job or that they're even qualified to do every single part of this job because the job will change and they're going to change, they're going to develop. And so once you immediately just embrace that idea of, hey guys, we all have our strengths, we all have our weaknesses, let's just put them out on the table. So maybe one we can guard against certain things that we know might be catches for some of us, but also that we can just be open and honest about them. I think that's just so important. Yeah,
2: and it makes me think of, you know, on a personal level, even that, that relevant piece, that piece of like a weakness that could hurt the team, it makes me think of how sometimes, in certain situations, and you see this a lot on social media, I think, like honesty and truth can be used as a mask to avoid true vulnerability and authenticity. Mm-hmm. We' um, kind of going back to some of what we talked about earlier with some of the corporations where you have the air of authenticity without actually participating in it where you know you bring up a weakness that um you know very genuinely in real life I'm afraid of horses that's an actual phobia that I have and is never going to be relevant in any work <laughs> position
1: I did not know this and
2: yeah I mean I have been since I was a little kid but you know I could bring that up as a weakness and if we were cowboys in 1870 It might be relevant, Mm -hmm. but in 2021, in a coaching community, completely irrelevant. And so it's true, but if I was to bring that up as a weakness, it's masking me from having to engage in true authenticity.
1: That's good. Good example, man. So I'm wondering if we can think about this through the lens of people, because that's really how we're going to experience this and how we're going to cultivate it. So I, I want to know. Tell me, you guys, about somebody who modeled authenticity in your life. How did you see it? How did it feel? Uh, What are some examples that come to mind?
0: So I can go first. Um, So this one was very impactful for me because it occurred at a point in my life where I was, I think, either 19 or 20. And this is kind of where you're coming out of your your uh, high school uh, teenage years and you're trying to be an adult even though you don't really know what being adult means or you're trying to be treated like an adult because you're surrounded by more adults again trying to uh, get into the workplace whatever so I was in a volunteer position and um, I was serving pretty much directly underneath the director of this program Mm -hmm. and um, I remember we were at a camp because we were preparing for like a summer program and he was talking about a few of our kids in the program that he was concerned about. And for the first time in my life, I think I saw a male leader cry. He, he just got emotionally welled up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, very understandably so because of some of the situations that were happening in the the lives of the students that we were um, working with. And just actually broke down and not like single tear man cry where he wiped it away and wish kept talking like, like stopped what we were doing and just cried. And uh. I didn't necessarily in that moment know how to respond. You know, I um, don't think I ever really saw even my dad cry before, you know, and once again, if, if it was, it was probably out of grief or something like that, not out of like a, a brokenness um, in leadership for someone else, you know, like yeah. I am feeling for this person. And so I'm going to basically in front of someone else, be very vulnerable <laughs> yeah, in our culture. It's
1: hard.
2: Yeah. It's yeah. not modeled a lot in the West.
0: Yeah. And so that was, that was really impactful for me because one, it it showed he was passionate, but two, he did it in front of me. You know, it wasn't something that he did at his home in the privacy of his own personal life. And so thank you for that. Um, but also I think about a personal experience where because authenticity, because of um, him and other leaders early on in my life was modeled for me in certain ways, I did learn that I could just be myself and then later on in life, maybe in my mid twenties, actually kind of got bit in the butt from it, you know? And so there were certain people who, when I was trying to share things that were occurring in my life, because we were in different spheres um, where, you know, either it was a professional sphere and I was sharing personal stuff or personal sphere and I was sharing professional stuff, whatever, um, actually kind of like seemed to, how do I word this? I shared something that was going on in my life and it affected my employment, you know, where I maybe professionally should have given the very like cut and dry answer of like, this is what's mm. happening. Here's my notice. There's a cost. Yeah. Yes. Rather than, Oh, well I trust you with this information. So I'm going to share with it. And then it coming back in and, and not being received well. Mm. Um, So I, I had to kind of learn um, like, like Johnny was saying that you can be authentic and in certain spheres um, you might have to just guard against that. But also, that some people aren't ready for it, you know, or or that they're not on the same level with you where you're coming from. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I can think of a few people who've modeled authenticity, but I want to like kind of, kind of go the opposite direction from Joe and share a like failure story in my own life first. Um, (laughs) Go for it. Just share So I, when I was 18, graduated from high school and my whole life, like all through middle school, high school, and then going to college was on this trajectory where I felt like, you know, I wanted to be a pastor and, and do all this stuff. And so I went to Bible college and uh, spent three years or two years in Bible college, ended up actually getting kicked out of Bible college after two years, and then- There's a story. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a story for another day. Time. <laughs> but I, uh, I ended up going back to the same Bible college after a year away and went for three more years and graduated and then did an internship focused on youth ministry and all this stuff and and it just always felt like there was something that didn't fit you know something wasn't right in that situation and uh after some really heartbreaking experiences and a lot of a lot of difficulty only in the last year and a half or so I've come to this place of realizing that I was on that path and, and following that trajectory, not because it was what I wanted for my own life, but because it's what I felt like was expected of me. Mm. Um, I felt mm. like there was some pressure from my parents. I felt like there was pressure from important and significant uh, leaders and mentors in my life. And so mm-hmm. I, because I had all of these important voices telling me, this is the direction that you need to move. I... I convinced myself that that was the direction I wanted to move. Mm. And so that was the path I was following. And really, over the course of the last year and a half, uh, especially after seeing some friends, you know, in in that context, it was not an open and affirming uh, context for people in the LGBTQ community. And I am cis and straight. But I have some friends who were in that same context who Mm. recently have come out and um, watching their journey and having conversations with them really, really, really inspired me to figure out what is most authentically true about me Mm. deep down and allow myself to stop pursuing the things I felt like were expected of me Mm. and start pursuing the things that actually fulfill me and bring me joy. And I feel a million times better than I ever did. And some of that journey also includes issues with mental health and getting Mm -hmm. some help that I didn't feel like I could pursue in that context. But now being able to, uh, you know, go to counseling and get some medication and get some help for some of the issues that I have with depression, anxiety, and really just be who I feel like I was always supposed to be and not feeling like who the other people expected me to be is who I need to be, but just being, just being Johnny is enough. Yes. And that it feels so much better than it ever felt living under the pressure of, uh, Johnny's supposed to be this. Yeah. yeah,
0: Wow. Yeah. What about you, Steve? What do you got for us?
1: So one person I think of, uh, a friend that I had in college still actually have, uh, but just, just long distance. Um, she really took risks in our friendship even early on. Like during what you might call like the testing period, Uh (laughs) you're kind of like, I'll then do this pseudo vulnerable thing and see how you react. And then you might return the favor Mm -hmm. and, you know, you're sort of sorting out who is this person and, and who are they to me? Um, and there's risks were essentially communicating with some emotional honesty. You know, a lot of us think of just honesty and we probably default to a kind of factual or, or mm. content based honesty. Is the stuff that's being said, the content of this, uh, accurate, you know? But then there's kind of an emotional honesty piece. And so she wouldn't just purely inform me uh of times that I hurt her in some stoic way, which I think was part of the script I grew up with, is like mm. you deal with your feelings and then you very calmly, with no seeming attachment <laughs> if it's important enough to, to go for the conflict, you let someone know such and such was you know upsetting to me or whatever, mm. but I have no feelings about it now. It's kind of yeah. like a way to take the pressure off, yeah. but, but she would actually show me, uh, allow me to see her hurt, mm. not having processed it fully in the process, <laughs> sometimes in the moment that the hurt occurred. And that was more new for me. That was more new territory and it disrupted me in a really good way. Yeah. But it became one of my first adult opportunities to give heartfelt apology. Mm, Um, Wow. And I feel like I had friendships where there was a kind of intimacy that was forged certainly uh, before that, but a lot of it was kind of like, we all have enough in common. And one of the things we have in common is sort of an agreement not to engage too heavily in this stuff, brush things off, move Mm -hmm. on. Um, and and so on. And so she really broke some of that script up for me. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad she did.
0: Yeah. And even, you know, this kind of brings it back a little bit to the corporate side of things or the business side of things. But um, while you don't maybe necessarily need this like five point um, code of ethics for your business, like written out or anything like that. But just knowing how you as a business owner um, or as a person who will be interfacing with the public, like how you handle hurt and or how you manage conflict, how you manage, um, when events occur that you need to respond to that, you know, you have to basically make a public statement about like knowing beforehand, um, how you're going to deal with that and and what approach you're going to take is so important. So I think what you're saying, Steve, if I'm hearing you correctly too, is both as an adult and as a developing person and leader yourself, like you were shown somebody who was willing to say like, that was bad. I didn't like that. You, you know, you hurt me. And then you had to ha- make the choice or, or own up to the responsibility of actually apologizing rather than just brushing it aside or, or saying that, that, oh, well, you know, I'm sorry I hurt you, but I don't feel like I did anything wrong, whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's important too, is is that emotional intelligence side. Yeah. Um. But uh, one of the things Steve had mentioned to us as we were preparing for this episode as well is that, you you just mentioned it a little bit from your background, Steve, is this scripts for survival. Um that can come from when we grow up or from things, uh, in, the, in your past as well. And, and you had mentioned something about your family and how that impacted, I think this interaction specifically, could you mind Yeah. Im- impacting that a little bit more too?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, every family has their stuff and I would say mine had some of the toxic positivity piece. And mm. I think that's more of a, more of a popular phrase now. Yeah. Like I didn't have that language. I wasn't mm-hmm. equipped with that even a few years ago, but, um, as I've grown into these experiences of, yeah, actually I'm going to, I'm going to share what's really happening just because I assume there's an inherent value in mm-hmm. reality instead of just trying to play by uh, how I think I should feel. <laughs> um, uh, you know, toxic positivity, I didn't realize how deep it runs in me, but I still have this impulse, um, to try to brush over, the so-called negative emotions mm. to downplay when I'm offended. Um, and yeah, just minimize hurt. Um, and there's obviously a ton of drawbacks with that. There can be a lack of intimacy. There can be a lack of opportunity for me to find healing for myself if mm-hmm. I suppress or, or <laughs> try to rush grief. Um, but yeah. it can also mean that other people miss out on real connection with me. Yeah, And opportunities for us to grow together. So that's, you know, that's the the skills that we develop sometimes to navigate situations. They make sense for those, Mm -hmm. Um, especially when you think of like family, you know, of upbringing situation, Um, like we have these scripts or these survival skills, but the skills that we develop to survive are not always the same ones that will help us thrive. Mm. And so if they no longer serve us, right, that can be. Uh, a difficult but important process of evaluating that. But I was—I wonder if you guys have any of those, have any thoughts on some of the things that you might have absorbed because they helped <laughs> for the time, mm-hmm. but then they no longer worked. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, for for me, uh, you know, my family—I don't think we had that kind of toxic positivity thing going on, but there was definitely a a sense of. Um, The things that happen in our family are private and Mm -hmm. everything stays in the family. And Mm -hmm. so you don't talk to other people about it. You don't you don't take it outside of the house. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that stems from my parents own upbringings. And, you know, there's that constant cycle of like we're trying to be better than than the generations before us and Mm -hmm. things like that. But there was a sense um, growing up because. You know, my parents were. Let me let me just say as a disclaimer, they were excellent parents. There was no abuse or anything like that in the house. But that sense that like everything that happened in the house was private made me feel like and kind of produced in me this mechanism of bottling things up. Uh And uh, you know, it when I whether I was home or outside, it was it was you. I learned that anything that I'm feeling. It belongs to me and no one else. And mm. so if I'm angry, it goes inward. If I'm wow. sad, it goes inward. If I'm uh, hurt, it goes inward. And a lot of times, when I, especially when I was in middle school and high school, you know, bottling up that much emotion is not healthy for anyone. Yeah. And so it would a lot of times, even even joy, when I got to a point of being overwhelmed with emotion that was internalized, I would explode in rage and things uh-huh. that were like unreasonable would make me blow up because I was internalizing those things. And so eventually, you know, I learned that, um, you know, what, <laughs> what worked for a season stopped working <laughs> and mm-hmm. had to figure out how to uh, on, kind of on my own because it wasn't modeled for me by my parents, figure out how to let some of my guard down and let some of those things out. In front of people, mm-hmm. so that I could stop exploding with rage because of all the emotions that <laughs> was yeah. bottling up. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mentioned it earlier, but a, another big piece of that for me was growing up in a in a church context where no one ever explicitly said "Don't get counseling" or "Don't get medication for mental health issues" or anything like that. But that was kind of the underlying communication in the culture that I grew up in Mm. and so there was this sense of if I'm having some sort of an issue and I go to a professional counselor, I seek medication. It might be because I don't have enough faith Mm. and that's a problem. And so, uh, it's really only very recently that I've been able to go and get counseling and get that medication and get that professional help that I needed for years, Yeah, but was kind of conditioned against. And so, right, um, yeah, I think it's like, like you said, there's seasons where it's like you realize, oh, that thing that helped me survive back there is going to kill me if I keep going with it.
0: Uh, yeah. Hmm.
2: How
1: about you, Joe?
0: Yeah, I mean, you guys definitely touched upon a few things that, you know, whether it's generational because of our parents and how and when they grew up, um, I I definitely resonate with, especially um, as we all of us are talking about backgrounds that also came from a place of, of faith, you know, and having a faith discipline inform some of that kind of stuff, um, I, I definitely relate with that as well. I'm trying to think of you know one one aspect of my life that was a survival script. My, my parents definitely did a very good job of providing for us, um, encouraging us, me, my, us, me and my brother, and I, um, and you know, our family unit as a whole was was pretty um, safe secure and i didn't probably have much trauma growing up um to really like draw upon as something that i developed a uh, reflex for or something Mm -hmm. um but the one thing that that i keep thinking about for myself honestly is is that security and so the script was you know uh both my parents worked pretty stable and um I guess I don't want to call them regular jobs but you know they worked jobs where there was benefits in place there was structured pay raises there were clear hierarchies um yeah. both of them worked in pretty big corporations my dad worked for the state my mom for a long time worked for InfoLine um which is the 411 number people would call to get information before like Google was a big thing <laughs> um <laughs>
1: nice. and
0: um So, yeah. So when I became an entrepreneur, I think that's actually when I stepped outside of my Mm. my typical window of Uh comfort. Uh And even to this day, my dad and I have weekly meetings where we'll talk about He'll help me think about financial documents because he is a financial director of a state hospital, you know, and I am not good at math. And so when we're talking about things, business, of course, will come up. And he'll always kind of ask me like, "So when are you getting the other job to supplement this?" I'm like, "What? I don't want there to be another job. I want to pursue Voss wholeheartedly. I want to be an entrepreneur, a business owner. It it's was a something that was yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and and he's not asking me that because he doesn't believe in me. He always encourages me, but it's because he has that like that idea of like, okay, but I just I got to think about what's happening." you know for your family or i got to think about what's happening and like setting up all those security um measures you know with the yeah. with the structured pay with the the benefits in place and so of course yeah. it's wisdom he's giving me wisdom and yeah. i don't take it as anything but that but it is interesting to see me and and Corinne, my wife for that matter escape this idea of like you work for someone else because they then can control all the the details that and you can just plug and play you know okay good i'm a part of the system i don't got to worry about it anymore but I think half the fun of an entrepreneur is you get to create that for yourself. So
1: yeah, there's that security value, and mm-hmm. that was a high is a high value for them, and they instilled that in you. But there's other values too, and even just kind of turning down the dial on one and turning up the dial on one or several others, that's a shift that yeah. comes yeah. with an element of risk and can disrupt relationships, and that's okay. Like yes. we said, competing visions. Yep. You know, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Wow, that's a good example. Yeah. And so I, I I want to take a step back, um, and just ask as we have all these things fresh, picturing these people in our lives who model authenticity in different ways, or picturing people who, in ourselves, who <laughs> the times that we've failed uh, to really show up. Mm. Let's just answer the episode's question: right? <laughs> um, Why should we practice authenticity? What reasons come to
2: mind? For me, I would say that that practicing authenticity, the life that's lived authentically is so much more fulfilling than a life that's lived inauthentically. Uh, Uh, You know, I could have spent the rest of my life on that trajectory of, you know, being a pastor and and punching that clock and marching to that drum. And there would have always been a piece of me that felt like I'm a fraud and what am I, mm. what am I doing? Um, and honestly, I don't know that I have survived it, you know, quite literally. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I think living authentically and and moving closer because i'm I'm certainly not one hundred percent there yet, but moving closer and closer to the things that I truly dream about and the in the life that i I truly want to build for myself as I move closer to that authentic vision, I feel more and more fulfilled and more and more complete
0: mm. Mm. yeah, I think why we should practice authenticity and why we should embrace it, you know, not just try it out (laughs) Um, is because people learn best from other people's mistakes and their stories. And if you hide those from others, if you're, if you're always trying to only give the, uh, the highlight reel, as many would call it, you know, people will miss out on some of your best lessons. Um, Mm -hmm. And not to mention, I think once again, Johnny also mentioned this earlier in the episode, but don't sugarcoat them. Don't just say, yeah, I had a rough patch and now my business is successful and you can do it too. Get into the details. Tell your team about how, you know, for a while um, your services were not paying the bills or tell them about how um, for the first three years of your business, you had imposter syndrome, wondering who the heck you thought you were to start this endeavor and why people should trust you and give you their money, you know, and, and, and as, as, as easy as to say that from the other side of that coin, it's also important to say it while it's happening. Mm-hmm. And so that I think something that I I really value in our friendships, um, the three of us is, yes, we can always look back on the, the days of old and say, man, I'm so happy I'm not that person anymore. But I think it's so important that we model that in real time too and say, like, hey, I'm struggling or hey, yeah. um, things are going well, but in order for them to keep going well, I need to tell you my boundaries or tell you what's what's on the horizon for me so we can all be informed you know like that's all part of being authentic it's giving people access to uh the parts of you that you otherwise might want to polish before you show off you know yeah um but like like johnny said you know you you trust those people and maybe that's not, not everybody but to the people that you know and, and especially to i think your your innermost circle is like you need to really be showing them that they can do it too mm-hmm. so
1: I love that answer. There's like this learning opportunities that just go missed because we're focused on being right. Yeah. <laughs> instead yeah. of being real, you know, yep. like, wow. It's a real danger. I, I think my own answer to the question, um, it might sound too basic <laughs> or philosophical, but I feel like it's still worth driving basic home. Basic and ph- philosophical. Yeah. It's, it's so you, you'll understand what that says. Cool. <laughs> I feel like we should practice authenticity because it's real. It's about a commitment to reality. And Mm. there's value in reckoning with reality. And that might sound so basic, maybe abstract is a better word than philosophical, Mm. but there's this, everybody, every family, every person, every culture is navigating this tension of what is and what could be or should be. And there is a risk of living life Entirely or almost entirely in the realm of what could or should be, and you're mm. just shooting yourself all the time, yeah <laughs> you know you're you're constantly living in a hypothetical future or in mm. a hypothetical script, like trying to be the person everyone expects you to be, yeah um, these kinds of things, and that script can to varying degrees conflict with what actually is real mm. in Johnny's case, you know, something that was real is perhaps a desire to do something else vocationally, you know. Uh, and, and all that comes with that. And so for us to fully appreciate life, uh, to get honest about what is, I think that's part of the, the why behind authenticity. Mm. Um, it's because to some extent, we could be living a lie.
0: Mm.
1: And who wants to do that? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. reality matters. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: And so at, at the end of most of our episodes, when we have a guest, we typically end up Asking them, you know, what are some resources you would recommend for our audience? I would love to do that for us. So, you know, what are what are resources or who are people? I think is a better way of saying it. Let's make it personal. Who are people that you think are just gems in this field or that yeah. model this? You know, often that our our listeners should should check out.
2: Yeah, I I will recommend anybody listening needs to check out Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna put her name and we're gonna put some links in the show notes, uh, but. I would start off. She has a, it's going to be linked in the show notes, but a YouTube uh, video of a TED talk that she gave talking about everything that we just talked about during this episode. And she puts it so eloquently, so succinctly. She has a background in psychology and research. And so um, everything that she says is coming from a place of authority on this subject. Mm. Uh, but she's written several books that are all worth reading. And uh, really, in my mind, she's one of the foremost people on this particular subject.
1: I think actually that TED Talk was a particular moment in the U.S. culture. Yeah. <laughs> where It was mm. like this started bringing this forward into our national consciousness. As yeah, making that's it, true. Making it an important conversation. So we really do have her to thank in a lot of ways for some of that influence. Mm. I would add Ed Milette. Hmm. Um, as far as kind of podcast zone, like, uh, somebody who does interviews really well, what I've come to admire over, I don't know how many episodes I've listened to maybe 40 from Ed Milette is his ability to be fully present with people. And you can see him and feel in real time, him allowing people to affect him. He's not living by a script. He's reacting wholeheartedly, allowing people to impact him. Sometimes that shows up emotionally in Hmm. his show. He really, and he really asks honest questions. Sometimes he, he kind of, you can tell he's wrestling. He's in his own process of being like apologizing for his question because it feels like a dumb question. Mm. But you can see a real human being show up, be honest about They're not trying to pretend they know something they don't <laughs> and learn, and you're learning with them. And I love that environment and that atmosphere yeah. and the tone that is set in that podcast. Wow. So if you just Google Ed Milet, I'm y-l-e-t-t i think it is Mm -hmm. um you'll find his show so i think that's somebody who's worth following that's awesome
0: so mine is um jason wilson he um he works with so he does a lot of different things um he has a martial arts studio in detroit that works with kids from detroit um and uh what he does is he teaches them obviously outside of the skills of the martial art, he's, he's teaching them emotional vulnerability and he is a black male who, um, is very, very, uh, open and transparent about his own past traumas between, um, racial, uh, problems, or I should say racial, racial experiences that he's had that were either violent or abusive or Mm. just the the family history and trauma that his family has endured, um, in America. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then how that taught him, in a sense, going back to survival skills, to man up, as our culture would say. um, And you, you, Mm. you, you suppress that, you hide it, you're always tough on the outside, you deal with your problems, yada, yada. And it wasn't until he embraced learning to cry, learning to express emotions, learning to understand vulnerability, that he actually was able to really come into healing for all of that. And so he teaches these martial arts classes to boys and one of the biggest things he does is he brings their fathers in to do it alongside of them to pass the tests so um one one video example i can think of is there's a a moment where um there's a a boy who is trying to do his push-ups and you have to do a certain amount of push-ups to get one of this test you know uh, passed or whatever and the dad had to do them alongside of him you know so they were encouraging each other there's another point uh where because that normally happens i think at the end of that test the dad actually does like a few pushups with the kid on the back to show you like, I am here to support you. Um, one of the, the, the young adults, or, or I think maybe he was like a young teen's father was not there. And so the entire gym did the pushups with the kid. Um, and once again, just showing him like, this is what community is for. And then the kid started crying. He's like, it's okay, son. Like it's okay to be upset, you know? And so I love that about him. Um, he has a book called cry like a man that really was, was impactful for me. Uh. Um, I actually gave it to my dad talking about emotional, you know, masculinity, all those things and, uh, shared it with him as well. Um, so Jason Wilson is an incredible person that you should definitely Look into as well, um, yeah, especially yeah. for the emotional vulnerability side, and especially if you 're a male, I think it really speaks to men in that context
2: yeah if i can if I can bring up one more thing yeah, yeah. Um, that is not, not a sponsor or anything like that, but I just think it is worth um, it 's a good starting point for people. Um, you know, I brought up my own journey with mental health and anxiety and depression and i 'm trying to be super open about that because it, I think it 's an important part of the healing process for me is just having those conversations and being vulnerable about that experience um but i just want to encourage because statistically speaking there are way more people struggling with mental health issues than there are Mm -hmm. people actually getting help for it uh and so if you're one of those people who you know you feel like you're dealing with some sort of mental health issue whether it be anxiety depression uh whatever it is that you think is going on um you my My therapist said something recently that I really appreciated. She said that if you think you have an issue, you probably have that issue. Right. You know yourself better than anybody else does. Mm. Uh, and so I just want to encourage anyone listening who is struggling with any sort of mental health issue and hasn't gotten help to check out something like BetterHelp or any other. There are lots of different services, but I think we'll link BetterHelp because it's a really easy place to start where you can get counseling and you know licensed certified counselors in your area via video chat, text message, whatever you're comfortable mm. with. Um, but it's a great starting point. If you haven't had therapy before and you, you want to try it out, I, I super recommend just getting some help. If you feel like you need any help, mm. um, and you want to step out in that particular, uh, you know, take that particular step of authenticity and get some help with whatever mental health issue you might be struggling with. I super encourage you to do that.
0: Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you, Johnny. To be a better leader, you have to be a better human. So yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah.
1: And uh, I would add this isn't a person, but bearable bearable is a, a good app that I've been using for the past several months. Mm. And one of the things that it could help with, and this help, it's helped me is essentially tracking your feelings mm. and then you know being able to collect a bit of data on that as you go. Um, so for me, you can you can use pre-selected prompts or you can create your own and then it just kind of reminds you, few times a day, if you like, or once a day, if you like, how are you feeling? And you open it up and you just click the tags that apply. And seeing those tags supplied was actually really formative over the last several months, because sometimes I'm not good at naming or identifying my emotions and pulling them out of a hat (laughs) or out of thin air. Um, Seeing a list and saying, oh yeah, irritation, like, yeah, I have some irritation. It's not crazy, but it's there. And then, oh, sadness. Yeah, I got some sadness. I got some fatigue. And so I just click the tags that apply and then I submit it. And over time, you can actually see a chart uh, to visualize how you've been feeling. And you can, if you take notes on things, see the correlation, if there were any things like external factors that impacted that. And yeah. that helps with kind of just getting in touch, um, trying to maybe take a few steps toward that reality and embrace what's going on emotionally, at least to be aware of it for yourself. So that was a useful tool. I wonder, Joe, unless you you either of you had other things to add in the resource lane, Um, if we could close uh, with some Brene Brown quotes. (laughs) I know Johnny brought her up, but I specifically set one aside that I thought was useful for this conversation. please share it with us. Cool. Yeah, so Brene writes, authenticity is a daily practice. Choosing authenticity means cultivating the courage to be emotionally honest, to set boundaries, and to allow ourselves to be vulnerable, exercising the compassion that comes from knowing that we are are all made of strength and struggle and connected to each other through a loving and resilient human spirit, nurturing the connection and sense of belonging that can only happen when we let go of what we're supposed to be and embrace who we are. I just think that's a Mm -hmm. wonderful summary of um, some of what we discussed today. And it's about stepping out of those norms, not just for the sake of disrupting norms, but because those norms don't always serve us and reality doesn't always fit our scripts
0: mm, that's good, yeah, well, I hope this this episode was was helpful for you all. um I know that authenticity and vulnerability wouldn't give you like the and here's the three ways you can do it, but it's a <laughs> it's a process, you know yes. just like so Very much of what so. we talk about is a process, and it's gonna take you know years of practice or maybe a lifetime of practice to really come to your own and and own it um but yeah, I just think it's so important and would love to hear more about it as we continue, you know, Voss you know, just hear more about how we can lead authentically, lead our businesses authentically, um, and just embrace it. Yeah. This episode was hosted by me, Joe Schuberth.
1: Steve Durgan
2: and Johnny Button
0: and this episode was mixed and produced by Johnny Button and the music in this episode was by Ton Bay. You can connect with us on
2: social media at Voss Fellowship or by visiting vossfellowship.org. You can contact us with questions, comments, or episode ideas by emailing vignettes at vossfellowship.org.
1: We hope this episode added value to your life. If it did, please share it with someone else and be sure to subscribe if you're not already.
0: Thank you so much for joining our community, and we can't wait to talk with you again soon.